0: a woo a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose
1: from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most
0: fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. prohibited by loss. See terms and conditions, 18+. The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. Silent Green is people! No, I am the father. Oh.
0: What's in the box? You maniac! You blew it up! Damn
1: you all to hell!
0: Hi, and welcome to Slate's Spoiler Specials. Today, we're going to be spoiling I May Destroy You, Michaela Kill's incredible, phenomenal, like there are not enough good words or things to say about it, drama about rape, consent, friendship, empathy, and so much more. I'm Willa Paskin, Slate's TV critic, and I'm joined today by Angelica Bastian, a staff writer at Vulture who has written about the show, and I think we'll get into some of what she wrote as we discuss it. Hi, Angelica, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm really, really excited to talk about the show because there's actually so much to talk about. It just feels really dense. I'm sure we could talk for a really long time. We will talk for the time allotted. (laughs) Um, So Michaela Cole produced this show. She wrote every single episode. She directed most of them. It's based on her own experience, and she stars in it, too, as Arabella Essiedu, a young writer and Twitter sensation who is working on her second book and who, at the end of the very first episode, is drugged and raped at a bar. Her memory of the incident is only hazy. And the whole series is concerned with the fallout of this event, but not in any narrow sense. It's set in a vibrant social world, a Black British world populated by Arabella's friends who over the course of the series also deal with issues of assault and consent. It's very dense, very intense, very carefully constructed. Every detail signifies. And it's also sometimes very funny. There's so much to talk about that I thought that what we could do is to talk really specifically about the finale which needs like even more unpacking, I think, than the episodes that preceded it and use that as a way to jump into the threads and themes and characters of the series as a whole. Does that sound good? That sounds great. (laughs) <laughs> okay, good. So just to set it up a little bit, in the penultimate episode of the series, Arabella remembers what happened to her the night of her rape. And the finale is a kind of triptych, like there are three versions of what happens after Arabella remembers. And at first, it sort of seems like they're taking place in reality, but they are in fact taking place in her imagination or maybe, as we'll get into, the book she's writing. So I just want to jump in. Do you want to tell me what happens in the first sort of the first scenario.
2: The first scenario is really fascinating because I think it presents David, her rapist, as a predator in a very clear sense. All of them have a very similar beginning. So it begins with Arabella realizing, as she's looking into the bar called Ego Death, that she's looking at her rapist. And she starts to remember things. And so her and Terry rush inside the bathroom and Arabella's freaking out. She's trying to figure out what to do, but she has a plan. She's very planned out. She even has a wig to wear. That's how you know a Black woman is ready for something. (laughs) And so in the bathroom, she's talking to her friend Terry about the plan and they're going to rope Theo into it. Theo has become a friend for Arabella and proves instrumental in figuring out a solution for Arabella. And the solution they come up with is to drug David and make him feel the same way that Arabella felt, which is out of control. And it ends up ending in a very bloody fashion where Theo is strangling David with Arabella's underwear (laughs) and Arabella is pounding into him like with her fist while he is completely drugged up and barely conscious and she ends up putting him under her bed which is the place that we've seen in the show where she puts a lot of things she doesn't want to face. So that's the basic arc of how that first fantasy goes.
0: Totally. And so E. Alex Young, your colleague, wrote this profile of Michaela Cole, where she's sort of in an Airbnb in Michigan, trying to write the finale. And her Airbnb host, like, recommends this Margaret Atwood short story to her. And she's like, does it end in murder? (laughs) And the host is like, it does. And Michaela Cole is like, I'm trying not to go that route, kind of. And what I think is interesting about these three stories is I think Michaela Cole is kind of working through some of the cliches of how we resolve assault narratives. So this first one is like revenge, right? She's gonna beat the shit out of this guy. She takes him home on the bus. Like a woman on the bus is like, boys will be boys, like (laughs) not understanding the scenario. And she shoves him under a bed where like we see this pool of blood like she's she's murdered him and and hit him under a bed. And as you were saying, in the language of the show, which I think is really important to understanding this episode, the bed and everything you hide under it, all the monsters that you put there like that is really unhealthy. Right. So there's this sequence in episode nine where she's talking to her therapist, and, the, and she sort of says in passing, like, I'm just shoving everything under the bed. Like, Arabella makes that, this metaphor explicit. Michaela Cole uses this exact same language in the profile as well. Like, we do this, we divide the world into dualities, below the bed, above the bed, evil, good, friend, foe, me, not me, and it's actually, we have to get into what's under the bed and, like, really excavate it and look at it and sort of try to become an integrated, with that under the bed shit, or we're doomed. So... In just like strictly the symbolics of the show, shoving him under the bed is like an unsatisfying conclusion, even though kicking the shit out of your rapist is like in pop culture, like kind of a revenge conclusion, you know, but like, Mm. it's not good enough. I think the rest of the show will show us that there's a lot that's left out that it's not good enough that it's not good enough for Arabella, basically.
2: Yeah, I had a slightly different reading on the first (laughs) fantasy. As you know, I think this is an experience a lot of women deal with, and I've had the experience of having my drink drugged at a bar I used to be very comfortable at. I never got fully my memories back of the incident, but I have played out many of these fantasies in my head of what I would do to the various men who have done things like that to me. And I agree that you know, beating up a guy and killing him and leaving him off this earth completely, like wiping him off the face of the earth is satisfying in one respect, but in another, it doesn't heal your emotional wounds. It's not a clean ending. So in that regard, I did in some level like it because it's so visceral seeing Arabella beat him Mm -hmm. up. But I think the reason why it's unsatisfying is not that it's a cliche, but that it's too simple for a complicated subject.
0: Totally. I think that's that's totally right. That's great. I think also what we're seeing happen is, like, we're in Arabella's, like, thoughts, right? Like, we're in her contemplating all of her imaginings, all of her fantasies, all of her fantasies, you know, like, all of her thinking about what could happen. And so, of course, this happens. Like, even though it is a cliche, like, of course, cliches are cliches because they're real, right? So, yeah. like, uh, so of course, one of the first, like she's like, all right, the first thing I'm going to imagine is like revenge. I'm going to get this guy. But as you say, it isn't enough. Not just because it's a cliche, because it doesn't it doesn't help her. Right? Mm. She's still stuck with all this shit. Whether or not she ever confronts him in real life, like the impact is there. Let's go on to the second one.
2: <laughs> There's a specific detail. In the second one that I found really interesting. Yeah. So the second one sort of flips things in a certain regard. You see the same arc of her looking into the bar, seeing David, realizing who he is and, like, putting everything together. And her and Terry once again rush into the bathroom. But this time, Arabella doesn't have a plan. It's Terry who has the plan, which involves arabella snorting a lot of cocaine which is an interesting choice because she has to pretend to be
0: drugged at some point <laughs> i didn't actually quite understand i was like terry this plan is a little wacky like i just felt like it was a real terry <laughs> plan where you're like i don't follow the like the why this has to happen part but okay i think that mckillie cole is throughout the show really subtly and in a great way doing this thing where she's just like i'm not having this This, like, you deserved it because you party thing. Mm. Like, I'm just not having, I'm not going to engage with it. So it's like, Arabella is, like, a person. She has a life. Like, she does drugs in a casual way sometimes. And often it's really fun. Like, that doesn't mean she deserved anything. And I'm Mm -hmm. so going to, like, just steamroll that as just to, like, have it multiple times, like, be, like, just not consider that part, like, in such a such a willful way that she obviously like is considering it. And to me, this is like just a sort of hyped version of that where it's like, it's kind of almost comedic, right? Like Mm. even when she's talking to this rapist, it's so tense, but she's just like so intense and like dancing. And like the version of her who was raped is dancing behind her. There's Mm. just like a lot going on, but it's none of it is like irresponsible person doing Coke, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's also really fascinating when she's in the bathroom, with Terry, instead of just saying rapist, she says rape-er. And there's something about that change in language that changes the meaning and makes it active and somehow more pointed in a way. I thought that was interesting. And also the moment of her former self dancing by her is so striking and totally puts you in the mind of, oh, this is complete fantasy. So as it continues, she pretends to once again be drugged because he buys her a drink. She stumbles into the bathroom with him. He starts to, once again, try to take off her underwear, tries to rape her. And once again, she turns around and she's like, you know, that's not going to happen. And what's interesting is he shows a violence at first, pushing her against the wall of the bathroom, holding her face, calling her a whore. But then it turns and he's talking about himself. Yeah, Terry is outside of the bathroom calling the police so they'll get him, but when the police come in, they're gone, and Arabella has taken him back to her apartment, and she's showing him kindness, and she's curious about his life, and he talks about being in prison and having to take therapy with that and all the rapes he's done. He's begging for her to stay near him while they hear the sirens of the police coming, and eventually, the police bust into the apartment and drag him away. But is that satisfying?
0: Okay, so my read of this is like, so David in the bathroom, like this is these are the kind of things that he says. He's so first, he's like, "You're a whore." He's echoing some of the language that Arabella actually had when she was first talking to her therapist, where she's like, "I tell myself like people don't have cell phones, people are starving in Iraq," and he's sort of. He sort of says that same thing. Like, you think anyone cares about you? Like, there's all this horrible shit going on. And some bloke wants to fuck you in a bathroom. Like, you're nothing. But then he turns into this language that's very, like, don't tell anyone, David. If you tell anyone, I'll kill you. You're worthless, David. You're worthless. And he's sobbing. And it becomes very clear that he's using language that was used to him. And he. the implication, I think, is that he has his own history of sexual trauma, right? Mm. If you think about the first scenario as kind of like working through one of these like the first come to mind trope of like what you imagine, which is like this sort of revenge scenario. This is like another really common one, right? Which is like, what if your rapist is a person? Like, it's almost like they're saying maudlin and trite about it. But you could imagine so many like like a a mediocre play, right? That ends where you're like, oh, we can understand horrible people because they are also wounded and abused. I, I I'm not saying that I think this is trite and cliche. I think she's playing with this, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that's really interesting is that to me, this has become a real third rail thing to like imagine the humanity of an attacker. And I think that's because generally, we're just like in the media and so much fiction is like so predisposed to over imagine the identity of an attacker, right to like to suppress the humanity of the victim to like make them not the focus and to over focus on the attacker and like who they are. But I think one of the things about this show is because it's 12 episodes because it's so rich and so deep because Michaela Cole has so obviously like not been the suppressing the humanity of the victim. Like it's about her, it's about her friends in all these ways. Like she can do this. She can like look at this without it feeling like like you're like, "Oh, I you're doing this because Arabella is thinking these thoughts, right?" Like she mm-hmm. wants to know what this Why did this happen? Why would someone do something like that to her? Like that's what is happening in her mind. And she's like allowing herself to explore that. So you see this exploration you don't really see of – of this sort of thing in a way that's not icky you know usually it is icky when you explore some of these questions but I do think it is also as you said about the first one there is something a little unsatisfying about it Mm. because it's like it's too much about him right like Mm, she's totally silent in that scene where they're in her house like he's just being like I did all you know it's even like darkly comedic where he's like listing all the various different kinds of rape that he's done (laughs) and he's like why aren't you scared of me I'm totally weirded out like you should why are you letting me sit on your bed it's all about him still like it's not about her and there's a power in that right like and to be able to be the one who's listening and to be in control but it's still like it's not about her and like he's in her brain like it's about how she resolves not about about him I like thought this was very interesting
2: yeah I think it's a very interesting fantasy in the sense that I I completely agree with your reading it's definitely you know very focused on him very focused on the why he would do things and it's easy to point to past traumas as the cause for someone perpetuating trauma. I will just say, I'm the kind of dame who does not believe in forgiveness because I don't care if you've had trauma in your childhood. Guess what? Most people have. That doesn't mean that you can go around hurting people. Get into therapy, people. I'm saying this for everybody. Get into therapy. Help us out, especially men. Do more therapy, men. Anyway... I'm just dating again in this pandemic, and that just, you know, (laughs) I just had to say that message. But it's fascinating to see her show a kindness to him and be sympathetic to him. And I think one reason why that ending of him being dragged away by the police is so unsatisfying is... Because the system doesn't really work for women in this regard.
0: And the show has sort of underscored that, right? Exactly. Like not working for her, not working for Kwame, like not working really.
2: Exactly. So that's why the ending is unsatisfying.
0: I'm curious. So like, I hear you about but my sense is Michaela Cole like is big into forgiveness.
2: I think she really, really is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I wanna just like read a line again from E. Alex Young's profile. Of her, where she sort of talks about dividing people into these two, you know, making a line and not looking over the line and how you really have to look over the line. And she says like, daring to empathize, daring to help other people as well as being helped, it will do you good. It's about you. I think you see this even more in the next one. But some of this thing where she's like willing to be empathic and forgiving and kind, like it's, it's like for her own benefit. And I think you see some of that starting to percolate in real seriousness in the second scenario, right? Mm. Where she's like, what do I get out of like actively imagining how do you could have turned out this way? Even though like, obviously she has no idea how he turned out this way. Obviously it's not exculpatory, right? It's Mm. just, but she's starting to like do that work. And actually this, just to like use this as like a tangent while we're thinking about rapists. Okay, so just to set up Zane. So as the show begins, Arabella is is assaulted in this really violent dramatic way and then sort of in the third or fourth episode she's introduced to a writing coach this Cambridge graduate who she can't stop taking the piss out of for being a Cambridge graduate named Zane who the first time they have sex like oops oh I thought you said I couldn't have a condom I thought you knew like doesn't wear a condom and they start to date and then while they're dating she hears this podcast episode that's like oh that's a shady thing men do that's basically rape and she is in a pretty intense state of mind, for understandable reasons. And she, like, accuses him outs him of this rape in an extremely public format, at a writers conference, essentially, she annihilates him, she gets a lot of positive reinforcement for that on the internet, it's sort of what makes her kind of like, even more of like a warrior for abused women, sort of in the public eye. In this penultimate episode, she re-encounters Zane because she reads this novel that she loves. She wants to get in touch with the author. She's having trouble with her own book. And it turns out that Zane is the ghostwriter of this book because he he couldn't publish under his own name. So he's published as this woman named Della. And And he basically shows up. She shows up and they use this language where she's like, you're not under my bed anymore. You know, I might be a little scarier than when last time you saw me. And he's like, you were pretty scary last time I saw you. But she accepts his help, right? She brings him back to her bedroom and they like storyboard her book. And he really helps her. One of the other things that's amazing about this show is about help. It's so great where it's like you can accept and have help and that in no way undermines like your genius. Like Arabella is obviously the genius, but she mm. needs some like structural help. But like, and he gives it to her, but he doesn't under Like he's like, I thought it was about consent. And she's like, so he doesn't get it. He just like giving her the tools to like do her thing. Mm. um. And then she thanks him when she says like, bye, Della, thank you. But like, what did you make of this whole, like the Zane thing Is is to me, that's almost like, because that's not just happening in Arabella's imagination. Like it's just a complicated thing where it's like, Yeah, like, I accuse you of being a rapist. I think you raped me, basically, but I'm also, like, gonna have this interaction with you.
2: It made me really uncomfortable. Uh, (laughs) Because, maybe partially because I just can't imagine extending such grace. Because it takes a strong person to be able to accept help from someone who's hurt you in the past. So there's something that left me very uncomfortable about it in some way, but then I also thought it was really daring and complicated in a really fascinating way that allows for a more gray area of
0: experience which I thought was fascinating. Right like one of the implications is like it's a less bad rape. Yeah. Right? I mean yeah. which like seems like a crazy thing to say as I say it to you yeah. but I think actually is kind of maybe a I think Michaela Cole's sort of getting at like all of this is bad but it's not all the same bad. like
2: no it's not there's levels to this shit
0: right and and she's saying like the Zane level is like we're not gonna be friends but like I need something and you can provide it for me like I can take it from you you owe me you owe yeah. me and I can be in the room with you
2: <laughs> yeah and again that takes a strong dame to be able to do that <laughs> even though Arabella can be a bit of a mess and you know, I hate talking about unlikability in women. I like unlikable women. I I am probably sometimes unlikable in, in various ways. But she crosses boundaries. She makes mistakes. But she's still able to extend grace to people in a really beautiful way. And that's what really struck me about the Zayn interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also left me uncomfortable because I was like, wow, I don't think I could ever do that with yeah. someone who did something like that to me. I'm a bridge burner in that regard.
0: Yeah. Do do you find
2: her unlikable, Arabella?
0: Hmm.
2: That's a hard question to answer because on you know, I don't know if I find her unlikable or likable in any sort of clean way that I can point to either and be Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I totally love her. Or, oh my God, she," I totally don't like this character. I really like her character. I can see parts of myself in her character, which is really striking because that's very rare for me as a critic to be like, oh, I can see myself in someone on screen. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about being a Black critic and seeing a Black woman on screen. I'm talking about seeing your emotional self and like your spirit on the mm-hmm. screen. And so that's why this was such an emotional experience for me. So I'm definitely bringing my own baggage to this conversation yeah. <laughs> when it comes to a character like Zane, because I've been in positions like that. And yeah, bridge burner is how I put it. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think, um just like on the sheer question of likeability, like I think the show is so deft. I just felt for a while we were like in unlikable female characters, the show would just like be trying so hard to like shove Mm. in your face that they were unlikable whereas like all the anti-hero shows you know it was like they were like we really want you to love them even though they're evil and like this feels to me like it's progressed past the like in your face anti-heroine thing where it's like she is so human and like Mm. there's so many things about her that are so appealing and like she's so obviously is so immensely talented like mm. you can tell how much fun she is right mm. like how like loyal she is and you can also see the way that like the things that are amazing about her like her total intensity and commitment is also what's like impossible about her you know like yeah. when you're like oh like now we're in some like social media like k-hole and like this is exactly what's like obsessive and great about you but is this is like now totally war you can see it all and like It just felt like it was beyond, like, it was beyond these questions in a great way. Like, it's just like, she's complicated, but she's lovable. And, like, we're with her. Like, you know, she has our full interest and, like, you want what's best for her.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely beyond the questions of likability and unlikability when it comes to female characters, which is definitely very striking and allows for a wider range of human experience.
0: Yeah. This is maybe, like, a total, like, this is the real third rail of talking about I May Destroy You, which is mentioning the show Girls. But, like, you know, there there is, like, that famous moment in the first episode of Girls where, like, Hannah Horvath, Lena Dunham, says, like, I think I might be a voice of a generation. And it's, Mm. like, and I always sort of thought, I I don't know if it's true, but I kind of think Michaela Cole and Arabella's, like, Chronicles of a Fed Up Millennial. I think it's, like, a little riff on that a little bit, like – she is a voice of her, like she is like that's the premise of the show kind of it's like this woman is the voice of her generation and it's not like over determined <laughs> but it's like it's the next level do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's not it's not like some s- satire it's not some self hating thing it's not like some anti-heroine thing it's like no no this this is about that girl they're really complicated but not in some like fraught way like that's mm-hmm. like the premise and i i I love that for it. <laughs> like, I just feel like it's like, it's just like, I feel like it's sort of like building, but it's it's like building on. And I mean, uh, you know, whatever people think about girls, I think it was an important and good show in various moments. <laughs> anyway, that's like a, a little aside. <laughs> we can maybe leave Hannah Horvath's name out of our mouths for the rest of this. Okay, so one of the things that really struck me also about sort of the like talent that like, skill, like, thought that went into structuring this is that the show has, like, this mystery in it, right? It's, like, who raped her? And there's so often that kind of mystery can run away with a TV show. Mm -hmm. Like, we've seen it happen so long where what you're in it for is, like, what happened? And she does this really deft thing, which is, like, it sort of almost seems like it's going that way, like, through episode four or five or six, where it's not, like, the point, but, like, she's regularly seeing the police. There's a real, like detective vibe to what's happening or like not vibe like a a thread and then then she just pulls it out right as far as she knows the police tell her they found him and so for the whole middle of the show she like deflates that tension so you have to actually not be in the show in this like what happens way so that when we do find out what happens at the end all this pressure isn't on it do you know Mm. what I mean like it's not for this giant reveal and I thought that was just like so smart and so well done Mm. and also this just reminded me like it's so embedded in shows like this, like the what happened next, like who did it that like at some point I was like, are they about to make like Ben the rapist? Like there was all those mm. moments with her roommate where they're like doing like shots of him and he's like so nice. You're like, are you almost creepy? And like, of course, that's not what the show is doing. That would be so <laughs> corny. It would but be. I just felt like I was like in another kind of show, like that's what you'd be doing. And I almost couldn't tell if she was like playing with it on purpose where she's like, I'm just not making that kind of show and I don't want to get caught up in like, a who done it, and so I'm gonna solve this problem. Where you're not like, audiences aren't doing that work when they shouldn't be.
2: Yeah, I think probably Michael Cole was definitely conscious of that and of cliches with sexual assault and consent narratives, and she definitely seems to be consciously avoiding them, subverting them, deflating them to use your word. So I think that's a really fascinating observation as well.
0: Alright, let's do scenario three. The last one.
2: (laughs) The third scenario is a little different from the first two. We see Terry and Arabella in the bathroom of Ego Death the Bar and Terry mentions her Italian threesome which was a point of contention with regards to consent because she feels like they may have tricked her and actually knew each other. And... A woman comes into the bathroom that Arabella kind of recognizes and then she starts opening the bathroom doors.
0: So yeah, so the woman in the bathroom, I think it's the woman that she saw when she had gone to the hospital after her rape, and she was sort of out on a balcony and this woman came out smoking a cigarette and sort of explained to her why she was there and it was a fairly like horrific story. And that's who we see in the bathroom now. Although she looks a little different than she did when we saw her initially.
2: And so we see that woman bleeding from the groin in, in a hospital gown, and then she opens the second bathroom door and she sees the childhood versions of Terry, herself, and Theo laughing. And her and Terry talk a little bit more before they go out to the rest of the Ego Death Bar. And what's different about the bar is it's empty of people for the most part.
0: It's daytime, right?
2: It's daytime. You see the sunlight streaming in. You see David and his friend Michael. David is at the bar. His friend Michael is sitting down on a couch, which Terry comes up to. And then you see Arabella and David interacting. It's her who comes up to him. And it's her who buys the drinks and asks for them. And she's definitely more in control of... The narrative in this regard. And it gets to a point where she whispers something in his ear, and then they go into the bathroom. And in the bathroom, they start making out very heavily. And then it cuts to her and him naked in her bed, in her bedroom. And they have a very interesting sex scene because the climax of the sex scene is because she's topping him.
0: Yeah.
2: And They're in the throes of pleasure. And what's fascinating about her topping him is it's a reversal. It's her gaining control of her sexual narrative once again and gaining control of who she is and her intimate spaces in life. And so when she wakes up in the, you know, bright of morning, he's still there. And he says he won't leave until she tells him to, you know, and she says, go. And so when he leaves, he's completely naked, walking out of the bedroom. And what trails after him is his bloodied self that we saw from the first fantasy. And that first fantasy, David is carrying the ultrasound and the the clothing, I think, associated with that moment in Arabella's life.
0: Right. I think he's carrying like the investigation bags and this ultrasound of this abortion that she yes. had sort of sort of blacked out and has mentioned it in an earlier episode. There's so much gender reversal in particular happening in this episode like when David and Arabella leave the bar you see so for, in each of the three scenarios Terry has done, been doing this sort of like lap dance essentially for mm-hmm. David's co-conspirator to distract him and in this one he's dancing for Terry sort of like very awkwardly and slowly but like that's what he's doing and in the language of the sex scene right I think it's very explicit like she's topping him but it's like she is the male role—that's one of the things that's interesting about it—is like it's pretty, it's pretty like straight up. That's what's up, like overt yeah, about.
2: She's penetrating him,
0: so. right? Yeah, and like, and the whole thing, like you know, in the second scenario, she stumbles over her drink, like orange and gin or whatever, and then he does the exact same stuttering mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this one, like. It's pretty romantic and schmoopy, right? Like when he wakes up in the bed, he's not like he's like I'm going to I'm going to stay here as long until you tell me to go. Like it's not like yeah. thr- like he, he's like oh this is so he's like so post coital. He's like yeah. and she's like get out of here and he does. He listens, right? He does he what listens. she wants.
2: He listens. Boundaries are put up and he respects the boundaries. Right. Yeah, I think it's so inspiring and like weirdly sexy th- this whole fantasy <laughs> Uh, and I remember the first time I watched it, I've now seen the finale maybe about four times at this point. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I remember being like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and And then I sat with it and I thought, who wouldn't want to reverse the scenario in that way? You know what I mean? And imagine themselves as someone in power rather than the power taken away from them in a violent way
0: as what we're saying about, like, Michaela Cole's, like, uncanny, like, kindness and enlightenment or for whatever, is, like, it's not just that she, like, has the power. It's, like, it's so, like, loving. Like, Mm. it's not just, like, you know, she's had the power in actually each of these scenarios, right? Like, Mm. she killed him. She listened to him. Like, she's always the one in control in each of these, like, imagined fantasies. But in this one, it's, like, it's so gentle. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like she's literally like, I want to try to like have a, it's not like a do-over because this thing happened, but like the thing that's, it's like, what's going to heal this is like love instead of mm-hmm. like, like it's the opposite of rape. It's so, it it's like, it's pretty, it's, it's a lot. Like it is like, I, it is like, it's a you just like someone said to you, like the end of the show is going to be like her having like very loving sex with her rapist you'd be like I'm sorry that is wild like that is a crazy way to end a show like this but I kind of like think she like it worked. you get like you're with her enough that you get enough like what she wants from it right it's like she wants to have sex with this guy or like it's like she wants to be like whole right yeah she wants to live in the light she wants to live when there's no shit and monsters under her bed she wants to like it's it. This is the thing versus the first scenario where it's like, but what about her? Like, how does yeah. she keep going? And like, this is like her answer. It's like imagining a world where like, this could have been our interaction, right?
2: Exactly. And I think it's so smart how she structured this and the arc of these fantasies. I agree that she definitely has control in all of them. But it's just really fascinating seeing how she takes control in, the, in this specific fantasy and the gender reversals, as you said. It's just really striking, and she pulls it off. It's also really intimate in a beautiful way mm-hmm. totally. that I really loved. I'm just in awe of my killicle, I think. <laughs> I think she's a genius, basically.
0: She is a genius. Also, I mean, that as you say, that just made me think, it is true, like... And no point in the series does Arabella like turn off sex, mm-hmm. which, like, she really could. You could imagine, like, of course that would be a totally normal, like, common reaction. But that doesn't quite happen to her. Like, it does when the first time she's sleeping with Zane, right? She had there's mm-hmm. someone she has there's some time she's having sex with someone where she is freaked out about it initially, but she like
1: yeah. does
0: it anyway, and then sort of it seems like that abates. Yeah. It's really, like, it's really beautiful. The end, the part that comes after this is also really beautiful in a different way. And we'll talk about it in a second. But I just, like, really feel like she's enlightened. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I
2: I think she is enlightened. I'm definitely not there with my, I'm still, a, you know, stuck in the first two fantasies of revenge yeah. and trying to figure it out. Like, yeah. I definitely haven't gotten to the sexual intimacy. Right,
0: well, yeah. <laughs> well, I actually also think that that is like a key point, which is like, I think because we've been with her so much and it's such like so personal and so specific to this character that it doesn't feel prescriptive, right? Mm. Like, Michaela Cole's not telling us like it would help everyone who's been raped to like imagine having yeah. schnoopy sex. with yeah, their, Like think. that can't be what she's saying. And it's not. That's not what it came across. It's like, this is about Arabella, right? Like this is, yeah, this is about her imagination and what's like useful for her.
2: Yeah, it's a show guided by specificity. Right. And that's what makes it so great. And that's also what makes it, I think, relatable for a lot of people. You Mm -hmm. know, when you try to aim for being universal, that's you trying to please too many people and you're going to get a messy work that maybe wins an Oscar because a lot of crappy movies win Oscars. (laughs) But it's not going to you know, stand up (laughs) and be a good work of art. So, yeah, I'm just really in awe of this last one. What I like about these fantasies and about the show itself is it's also a tremendous acting showcase for Michaela Cole. And her face is just so expressive and she's able to move through emotions and different tonalities at a clip in a way that really is very striking. You know, I really love studying acting because it forces you to embody a different person and live in their skin. And what Michaela Cole does is create such a full body performance. Like, there's moments when she's dancing in the club, which are absolutely hilarious to me when she's high on cocaine and just like losing her mind and talking about being a fire starter because the song is playing. And Michaela Cole <laughs> is willing to let Arabella be messy and even make facial expressions that may be seen as not unattractive, but, like, just large. And she's able to both paint broadly in her physicality, but also have specific quiet moments in her acting. Like, the moment when you see her look through the bar and see her rapist is just so striking. It's just her face becomes almost a mask of shock and realization. And fear and desire, and it's in one brief moment. It's just a beautiful showcase for her acting.
0: She's willing to be scary, I, like yes. and intense in a way that I think is rare in women, rarer in still in black women. That that's like a register she's willing to have, and she does have it and like you know you think about sort of the scene where she's like the angel of death right like Mm. where she's like that halloween sequence and she like really gets so furious at her friends and she's so insistent she's so righteous it's like a part of her character it's a part of everyone and like you just but you don't see people like embodying that and doing it all like on tv that much because it's such like a third rail for women to do i think i completely agree she's like an amazing physical comedian also like she's just so cultish and like funny and like she's just really like she's just gonna do her body like she's right she's not like there's nothing she's not gonna let her body do if it's gonna like put it over and yeah she's so moving i mean she's really all and all the stuff like that she does with her hair like when she like gets her shaved head i think this is also like i think she's sort of like I know this is going to seem aggressive to some people kind of. And she's like, and fuck it. Like that's where this character is. And also fuck you for thinking that kind of like, there's just like a lot of stuff about like, where I think it just seems like she just gets everything that people are bringing to it. And Hmm. she's, playing with that and knows that and wants to do it anyway and in that way it's like she's an amazing actress but it's like she's always everything all at once like she's always the person whose show it is too like she's always the writer she's always the director she's always the producer and it's in her performance you can see it you know like she knows how it's hitting
2: yeah definitely there's a sense of control and confidence in everything she does in this show it's it's very striking. Also, visual choices in the show, the use of color is really beautiful and evocative. There's so much she's doing with this show from top to bottom on a craft level that's just very smart and beautiful and striking.
0: Totally. So let's take the last turn in this episode. So she has this photo's final imagined sort of healing kind of thought process about what's going to happen if she was to confront her rapist and in, in between each of these scenarios we sort of see that she's sitting in her backyard her back not quite her yard like their cement Bad backyard Oh yeah with ben her white sexless very kind agoraphobic roommate and this time he's like oh are you going to go back to the bar and she says like no basically like i think i'm mm-hmm. done with that like and and then we see all her and her group of friends on the couch watching Terry's ad. <laughs> We're in the you know, her her commercial, in which in the commercial she sort of actually reenacts the scene we see at the exercise studio where she gets the job. It's like mm-hmm. it's like her getting the job in the commercial. So we see her do it like a couple times, um the actress. And then and then it ends with a reading, right? So we go to a bookstore and Arabella SEADU has finished her. Book that she's been writing this whole time. It's called January twenty second, which I actually assume is the date of her rape, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's true. And she's very nervous, right? Like she's sitting in this, but there's a lot of people. It's independently published, so she doesn't get back in the good graces of her crummy big time book dealer. And she starts to read, and when she starts to read, we jump out and we jump to her on the beach in Italy, right, with the hair mm-hmm. she had sort of at the beginning of the show. And, like, the implication, I think, is, like, she wrote the show. Like, she finished her book. Her book is the show. It's, like, it's like that's, like, and, and this is also, I mean, this is all these the things that we've seen in this episode are, like, she's obviously been working towards being able to write this book the whole show, like, the whole mm. series. But she really, like, in that last, it's, like, how she gets there gets there, right? It's how she, it's, like, the ending of her book. It's the ending of her show. It's, like, a full circle.
2: Totally. I love the ending for arabella you know what i mean it's just really it's just really beautiful because you want to see her healed and move on and write her book and live her life more fully and i think that's what this ending suggests not a clean healing because she's had to process so much but a healing nonetheless
0: She's never going to be like, quote, past it. Like there is no, and like with the, and and also like with these three endings, there's no like one conclusion. It's like, Mm -hmm. she's going to take these loose ends and Mm -hmm. she's going to make her story. Right. And that's like what she needs to be able to do as an art. Like, that's what she wants. She's an artist. She wants to tell her story and she figured out a way to do it without having to like tie it all up and pretend it's neat and pretend it's like concluded. Right. But it's like, it's still satisfying. It's, it's an ending. You know, it's like a multi, it's a multiple endings and they work as this one ending. And Mm -hmm. also it's sort of so poignant thing pointing about it, which is like, because the show is so good, you're like, oh, she wrote a book that good. Like, you know, like there (laughs) is that, which is sort of really nice where you're like, oh, like you're a star girl. Like your book's as good as a show. Like,
1: yes, totally,
0: totally. And that would have been the ending if the show weren't as good. But it like, it's like, a, it's, such, it's like a happy, it's like, it's an extra bonus. We like, we knew you were yeah. That talented. Of course.
2: Yeah, it's, it's also such an earned ending, in my opinion. Like the show, you know, has been building up to a sense of catharsis. And that's also what I felt with watching these fantasies. Like, that is cathartic to kind of use fantasy to imagine a better life and a better resolution than the one we get in reality. Yeah. I think the use of fantasy is really interesting in the show, specifically with the finale and the moment when she sees her past self. That's what made me think, oh, this is a form of catharsis for her. This is working out all these issues, all these feelings, all these contradictory notions that are bubbling up inside of her. And she's using fantasy to work it out because a lot of times i i'm gonna be honest i don't think closure exists and i think sometimes trying to look for closure only makes us more afraid and sadder in life because mm-hmm. we look at healing as a finish line like oh i'm gonna get to a point with all this therapy and all the things i'm doing where sometime in the future, I'm going to be healed and I'm not going to hurt in the same ways I hurt now over something, over some trauma. And that trauma can be so many things. And so what's striking about the ending and the use of fantasy in that regard is it allows, you know, you to move through different emotions and different possibilities in a way that I think a more clear-cut narrative wouldn't allow Mm -hmm. you to do.
0: Totally. Just what you're saying made me think, like, I think one of the things that's so moving about the end is, like, it's not about, like, not being hurt or, like, it's not about not having pain. It's not about not having all these horrible, messy, difficult emotions. Like, it is, in fact, about having all those things, learning how to, like, see them, to be part of them, to have, like, them be part of you, and then, like, be able to do your life's work anyway, right? Like, Like, the thing is, like, the happy ending of this, it's not, is that, like, he didn't keep her from doing her work. Like, she's an artist. This is who she is. Like, the rape is a tragedy alone, but it's, like, the long tail of rape is, like, what if it had kept her from doing her work? And, like, that's part of, that's, like, that's, like, part of the, what's going on in the show, right? She can't write, or she's writing, and it's a mess. Like, it fucks her up. And, like, that way, that she can't write, like, she can't make art anymore and like so it's not that it's like resolved in some concluded way like it's obviously really painful and it's going to be with her forever but like she's a place where she can like use it it's material right like she's gotten to the place where she can make material out of it like what's more like empowering than that like you just not to, empowering is like a cheesy word you know but it's like she's like i will take this pile of shit and i have like made literally something jet like genuinely spectacular out of it that's like Pretty amazing you know that is
2: pretty amazing it's also inspiring to watch as a writer in the sense that i don't think she's quite arguing it's all worth it in a sense but that we can make beauty out of trauma and you know still be who we are and still move forward and still meet our goals and still express ourselves and not let that trauma completely swallow us whole. And I just found that really inspiring about the finale.
0: 100%. One other just last thing is that, you know, the cover of the book is this image. And it's an image that she drew with her therapist. the therapist has sort of drawn a picture for her. It's like an A for Arabella over a hard line. That's like the bed, the dividing line over this X. That's everything she doesn't want to think about. And Arabella sort of puts them all on top of each other, like a star. And is like, question mark. Like, that's where she wants to get, right? That's the cover image of the book. Like, this integrated self who can think about all the bad things and all the good things and be this new thing. It's also meta. Like, presumably, it's like you know, Michaela Cole's making the show that is also the book. Like it's all these things. It's very, um, it's like, it's really great. <laughs> um, and it's really like, and in that way, it's also like, it's like the show It's like, I mean, like the show is so dense. Like, I just feel like in that way, it's very writerly. Like, it's like, if you mm. push on any detail, like it's there, like she thought about it. The depth is there. Like it connects to something else. Like there's no line, there's no word, there's no image. That's not like considered.
2: Exactly.
0: That's really amazing when that happens. It's not easy. Yeah.
2: No, it's it's not.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet in terms of my own work, but it inspires me yeah, to be. I mean, very few up. people ever yeah. get there. Yeah.
0: No, I yeah. think it's like that's like it's like mastery.
2: I could talk about <laughs> this show endlessly. Like there's so much to it, down to the portrayal of the police in there, you know, as two women who are on her case, which is also an interesting choice to her friend Kwame and all the consent issues that he dealt with. There's just so much packed into this show that you can talk so much about it. But in terms of the finale, the final thing I want to say is maybe a message to people out there. You can turn your trauma into something beautiful. You can survive. There you go.
0: Yeah, it's the message of that episode, of the series. It's pretty, like important message and then the fact that she put it in a show that is like literally fun and interesting to watch for every minute of it is like that's like you know what I mean like that is real like there's a lot of people with messages like there is not a lot of people who like have the skill to like put that message in something that's like works as like a piece of entertainment you know exactly which makes it sound but like it does like it works at every level it's like it's really great
2: yeah definitely impressive as hell yeah, it is impressive as hell, especially because you're right. Like a lot of times when we see consent issues and rape depicted, it can either feel exploitative or like an after-school special that's like sanitized yeah. and doesn't deal with the undertow of emotion at all, which is so conflicted, you know, after an assault. Like there's so many different feelings that go through you. So I think, you know, Michaela Cole is a genius. Black women rule the world. That's what I got to say. <laughs>
0: we can end right there it was really (laughs) great talking to you (laughs) thank you so much for doing this yeah thank
2: you this was so much fun
0: good it felt deep right it was like good it's good when you talk about something deep it's like you can be deep with it
2: (laughs) exactly
0: okay that's our show Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Rosemary Belson. For Angelica Bastian, I'm Willa Paskin. Thank you for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?